There are two scripture readings this morning. The first is from the Sermon on the Mount. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. If God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. And the second reading is from Genesis chapter 4. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions, from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Every year at the end of the year at OMCC, we take two weeks to talk about giving, financial giving, giving a a big chunk, a big percentage of your money back to God. So next week... On the 18th, we're having what we're calling the Christmas offering, where we'll all uh, uh, pledge, this is how much uh, we're going to give to God in 2017, over the, the next 12 months. So what I want to talk about this, this morning in advance of, of that, in advance of that pledge, is, is how do you figure out how much of your money to give to God? How do you figure out the amount? Now, there are three groups of people here this morning, and there are two groups I'm not talking to. So I'm actually only talking to a third, or maybe less than a third, I don't know how the percentages break down, but I'm only talking to one of three groups of folks that are here this morning. So I want to clarify that up front. The first group that I'm not talking to, and I already kind of called you out last week, is those of you who are here, and you're kind of just checking things out. Um, you're You're not sure what you believe, you're still seeking spiritually. And this is not for you. You know, I don't. I, I don't know why you would give to somebody. This is we're talking about giving to God. I don't know why you would give to somebody you don't have a relationship with. You're not even sure you believe in. So my advice to to those of you who are still kind of trying to figure out what you believe is: first of all, we're glad that you're here, and I hope you keep coming. But but don't give. Not only should you not feel obligated to give, you you flat out shouldn't give. So that's the, the first group that I'm not talking to. The, the second group that I'm not talking to is those of you that I spoke to uh, last week, which are those of you who, uh, you, you're a committed Christian already, you're a committed member of this church, but in the past you've never given much of your money to God. You say, well, what, what counts as much? What's the standard? Well, that's what we're talking about. The, the, the benchmark is 10%. So maybe you've given in the past, uh, but you've always given less than 10%. Well, I'm not talking to you this morning either, because we're, we're talking about how much do you give, how, figuring out how much to give. And for you, if you've always given less than 10%, then that's, that's easy. Just give 10%. Start with 10%. Don't, don't go higher than that to start. Uh, start there. So you don't really have to figure this out. There's, there's nothing for you to kind of try to decide. Who I'm talking to uh, this morning 
is the third group of those of you who are here, which is those of you who have been doing this for a long time, have been doing the giving thing for a while, and you are already giving more than 10%. So if you added up everything you gave away last year as a percentage of your, your income, it's 15%, 20%, 25%. And for those of you who are in that category, what, what you have before you this year is the same tough decision that Brittany and I face every year, which is how much next year? How much am I going to give God in the year ahead? Roughly what dollar amount, what percentage am I going to give to him next year? This is a decision that I agonize over every year. And I will be very straightforward about the fact that my goal, talking to that last group of you, my goal in this sermon is to whatever number or percent you walked in here thinking, my goal is to, to push that higher, to get you to give more. Why? Well, because I don't think you need any help giving less. Like, I don't think you need anybody to convince you, here, here's the reasons you should give less. And it's the same thing for me. You know, in, in these sermons, I'm preaching to myself every bit as much as I'm preaching to you. I can think of all sorts of reasons to give less. So we don't really need any help in that department. Another way of putting that would be, I think there is very little danger to no danger of, of you giving too much. I just don't think that's probably going to happen for any of us. On the other hand, there is a very real danger for every one of us of giving too little. You say, well, why, why do you call it a, a danger? Why is it a danger of giving too little? That's what I want to talk about this morning, the danger of, of giving too little. And there are two things, two uh, negatives, two things you need to be worried about when it comes to, to giving too little. So first, if you give too little, it, it doesn't stretch your faith. It doesn't grow your faith. And secondly, if you give too little, God might be offended. So those are going to be the two sections to this morning's sermon. If you give too little, it doesn't grow your faith. And if you give too little, God might be offended. We'll take those one at a time. So first, part one, first half of the sermon, first reason you should be afraid of giving too little. The danger of giving too little is that if you give too little, it doesn't grow your faith. And let's, let's get into this first half like this. You know, the, the, the question you might ask is, uh, why, why do I do this? Why do I get up here every Sunday? Or maybe a more interesting question is, why do you do this? Why do you come here every week? You know, so for both of us, what's the motivation? What's the intention? Why are either of us here? And what's great is that from talking to a number of you over the years, I actually think there's a lot of alignment. You know, we, we both want the same things, which is why it more or less works most of the time. Uh, and what I want and what you want is for you to, to grow spiritually. I, I want you and what you want, the reason you keep coming back, is you want to have a closer relationship with God than you have. You want to have a richer spiritual life than you have. You want to have stronger faith than you have. And that, that's my aim, that's my intention, is to move the dial in your life spiritually. So, uh, as I've said before, the reason that I am admittedly addicted to this giving discussion is because it has shown the tendency to be able to do that in a way that, that every other discussion is unable to do it. Why? Because every other discussion is exactly that. It's just a, a discussion. 
You know, so much of Christianity is just words, 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 words. The, the Bible is words. We sing these words in the songs. The sermons are words. We go to our community group and we, we discuss with words. And for a lot of people, their, their entire relationship with God is just something they do with their mouth. And there's that, that great cliche, which, which could not be more perfect for this scenario. Put your money where your mouth is. And that's what giving is. It's the opportunity to do that literally. And it's an action. It's You're doing something real with something real. Cold, hard cash. And because of that, because it's an action and not just talk, it has the tendency to be able to, to grow you spiritually like nothing else can. But what I want to talk about is what do you do if it's worked for you in the past? How do you keep it working for you in the future? So if giving, if, if you're like me, and you've seen giving do this, you've seen giving draw you closer to God, you've seen giving grow your faith in the past, how do you keep that happening? How do you keep giving as this thing that continues to, to spur you on and, and help you to change spiritually in the future? And the answer is you just give more. Not give again, but give more. Give more than you gave before. Because what that does is it stretches your faith even more. So you start out, like, like I said a second ago, you start out giving 10%. Uh, and you, know, you don't give more than 10% because you, you hurt yourself. But you start out trying to give 10%, and, and you think, this is impossible. You know, so I, I pledge I'm going to give 10% of my income to God next year. There's no way. There's no way this, this is going to work out. And then it does. And what you figured out is you, you could do something you didn't know you could do, and God could do something that you didn't know God could do. He could take care of you. And when you do that, your faith grows. As you see God do that, when you do something that you thought was impossible, and God does something that you thought was impossible, your faith grows. That's, that's what faith is. It's learning that, that these things that you thought were impossible are not. Learning to have confidence and trust in God. But if you keep doing that, if you just keep giving 10%, well, you know it's possible now. It's no longer impossible, so it's not going to have the same effect. Your, your faith muscle is not going to grow in the same way. In, uh, in weightlifting, in strength training, there's this principle called progressive overload. I obviously don't know about this from personal experience. This is something I've read about. Words, not actions. Um, and the idea is, if you want your muscles to keep growing, you have to progressively overload them. You have to keep picking up heavier and heavier weights. And if you keep picking up the same size weight that you picked up before, there's not going to be any growth. Well, it's the same thing spiritually. I don't have first-hand experience with this principle physically, but I do have first-hand experience with this principle spiritually. If you want your faith muscles to keep growing, you have to keep picking up heavier and heavier weights. You have to keep pushing yourself, keep trying to do things that feel impossible. So if, you know, for those of you, let's say, just as an example, let's say you gave 20% last year. My recommendation is just up it a little bit, even if it's only 1%, even if it's 2%. Say, this year we're going to try to give 22%. Whatever it is, as long as it's an amount that feels uncomfortable. And, the, you know, we've talked about this before, give until it hurts, give an amount that feels uncomfortable. Why? Well, because otherwise it's not doing any good. You know, if you go to the gym and it doesn't hurt, 
What that means is you wasted your time. There was no reason to go at all. And so what we do is we say, well, I'll give, you know, a little bit because I don't want to, you know, not be involved. Like, I, I want to give something. It's like, I, I, I know I should go to the gym, and so I'll just go and I'll do a light workout. Well, there's, you might as well just not go at all. You know, you're going because you don't want to feel guilty about not going. You're giving because you don't want to feel guilty about not giving. But it's, it's defeating the purpose if it's comfortable. To get the benefit from it at all, you have to do something that, that really hurts and, and feels like, I, I don't think I can. And then you see God come and grow your faith. And if you do that over time, what's remarkable is where you can end up. Because you know, I know of couples that started in their 20s giving 10%. They said, we're going to up it 1% every year, 2% every year. And by their 50s, or these people, or real people, giving away 90% of their income and living off of 10%. Reverse tithing. And what that means is that well, these, uh, these standards, these behavioral standards, these commandments that you see in Scripture that you've always just written off as absurd, silly. What it means is that they are actually within reach if you take a long view instead of just thinking about right now. So, for for instance, you know, in the Gospels, there's this place where Jesus tells this guy, this guy comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, what do I do? I want to maximize my happiness on the other side. I want the best life in heaven for myself as possible. So what, what do you recommend? And Jesus says, well, honestly, I mean, if that's really what you want, what you should do is give away all your money. By doing that, you send it on ahead. You store up for yourself treasure in heaven and come and follow me. And we see that, you know, so, so it's not give 10%, it's not give 20% or 50%, it's give 100%. And we see that and we say, well, give 100%, nobody can do that. So we just skip over it. You know, it's like, well, obviously this doesn't apply to real human beings. We skip over it. And we, we say, we, in the back of our minds, subconsciously, we think, so the Bible's not trustworthy. You know, the, the commands of the Bible are not for us. And that's, that's how you have to look at it if you look at today. But if you look at it over the course of your, your whole life, and this, this principle of growing a little bit of a time, all of a sudden, these things that were impossible before now are within reach. You know, it's like, uh, this, what, what it is is the difference between trying versus training. So if... if God comes to me and says, I want you to run a five-minute mile tomorrow. Well, I'm not going to be able to do that. No matter how hard I try, no matter how bad I want to be able to do it, I'm not going to be able to do it. And I could try, and I could try, and I could try for a week or a year or whatever it is. But if you train, if you train, if you take this incremental approach to growth and push yourself a little bit at a time and are intelligent about it, all of a sudden there's no reason why these standards in the Gospels that Jesus calls us to can't be within reach over a lifetime. So that's the, that's the first thing, is to, to give enough that it stretches your faith. Give enough that you actually grow. Now, before we move on to the next section, just one last thing on this, which is you might say, well, why, why should I care? You know, Why should I care if I... Uh, Am able to attain these standards that are held out in Scripture? Why should I care if I, if I grow my, if I get bigger faith muscles? You know, I can't even show those off at the beach. So what, what's, the, what's the point of getting bigger faith muscles? Just to say I've got bigger faith muscles? And what's interesting about that is that it, it, 
gets at something, which is the, the reason most people work out today is because they want to look good, which is fine. You know, there's, there's nothing wrong with that, and it's healthy as a nice side effect, so that's perfectly legitimate. But it's almost like we forget that there was this other reason that people used to work out, or there's this other reason that certain classes of people still do work out, which is think about athletes and soldiers, where they're not working out, they're not going to the gym because they want a six-pack. They're going to the gym because the harder they push themselves in the gym, the more capacity they have, the more they're able to do out on the field. field the playing field or the, the field of battle. And it's the exact same thing here. Giving is the gymnasium of faith. It's the way you strengthen these faith muscles, not just for the sake of having bigger muscles, but so that you can do real stuff in the world on the field of battle, on the playing field. Now, when you go to the gym, basically what you're doing is you're artificially creating hardship. You're, you're, you're faking it, essentially. It's like a, a simulator. You're, you're bringing pain into your life willingly as a training mechanism so that when the real pain comes, when the real struggle comes, when the real battle comes, you're ready. It's the same thing with giving. You artificially, you say, I'm going to give this much away. I'm going to try to live on this instead of this. What, what are you doing? artificially bringing pain and suffering and hardship into your life. You're choosing struggle, choosing strain. Because as you tear that faith muscle, and as God rebuilds it, all of a sudden you've got strength where God can do real stuff with you, not just with money, but with all these other areas. If you don't do that, if you don't train, if you don't bulk up in the gym of giving, that doesn't mean that God doesn't love you, but he can't do much with you. Because you're sort of a weakling when it comes to faith. So that's the, the first half of the sermon. Is You should be afraid of, of giving an amount that it doesn't do anything. And if you do that, just like when you go to the gym and you don't really work out, you're, you're sort of just wasting your time. If you give a token amount, if you give less, if you don't give enough to really push yourself or, or strain yourself, I, I do think there's a sense in which you might as well just not give at all. But there's a second reason. There's a second reason you should be afraid of not giving enough, and that's because God might be offended. So that was the the second passage we looked at this morning, the story of Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel is one of the the oldest stories, oldest human stories of, of any kind. It's one of the first stories in the Bible. It's one of the richest stories we have in all of world literature. You know, it's a, a paragraph in the Bible. John Steinbeck takes 500 pages to retell that one paragraph in his novel, East of Eden, and still he doesn't plumb the depths of it. So it's this, it's an incredibly rich story. And what makes it rich is, is not what you think. So it's not about this one brother killing another brother. That's a, that's a side effect. That's an after effect that comes later. It's not about Cain's relationship with Abel. Uh, there's only one line of dialogue between Cain and Abel in the, in the whole story. And in fact, Abel doesn't even have a speaking part. Abel doesn't say anything. So Abel's not the protagonist. Cain is the protagonist. Cain is us. Cain is the one we're supposed to relate to. And what the story centers around isn't Cain's relationship with Abel, but his relationship with God. And the big sin in the story is not Cain killing his brother, but but Cain refusing to give God a good gift. The, the big crisis in the story is Cain gives God a gift, and God is displeased with it. 
God says it's not good enough. So obviously this is pretty pertinent to us because both brothers gave. Cain and Abel, they both gave. They both participated. Participation doesn't count. God says to Abel, I'm pleased with your gift. And he says to Cain, I'm not pleased with your gift. And every year for, for me personally, that's something that I'm afraid of. I'm afraid of God not being pleased with my gift. Now, I, I went back and forth a lot about whether to, to talk about this particular angle. I was going to talk about it last week and then decided not to and, and couldn't decide whether to talk about it this week or not. And the reason I went back and forth on it so much is because in talking about it from this perspective, we're, uh, we're breaking an unwritten rule when it comes to, to sermons today, which is, you know, just to, to let you into my world for a second, there's this rule which is stay positive. Focus on uh, the upside. Focus on uh, rewards. Focus on good stuff. And it, what it is is it's this response to, you know, all the uh, hellfire and brimstone sermons from the past where it's like, you better watch out, you know, God's going to get you. And people feel like, well, we don't want to be like that, so let's just focus on the, the positive. Which, and I think that's, for the most part, a good rule, and I, I mostly try to abide by that rule here. Uh, but the, the problem with it is, is that if you read the Bible, a lot of the sermons in the Bible are, are hellfire and brimstone. And if you read the Bible, there's, there's all this, not just positive incentives, not just do this for this good reason, but there's also the, these negatives and this, this appeal to fear. You know, you, you should do this because you should be afraid of what's going to happen if you don't do this. And we don't like to, to talk about that because it feels so negative. But for all the heroes of the faith, they didn't just love God, they also feared God. One of the most common phrases in Scripture is uh, fear of the Lord. And even there, you know, you'll hear people say today, like, oh, well, back then fear meant, like, respect. You know, back then fear meant, like, fear was like super love back then. Well, <laughs> yeah, it's not like they didn't have words for love or respect. Fear means fear. God is not only to be loved, he is also to be feared. And the, the more time I spend pursuing God, the closer I get to God, yes, the more I love him, but also the more I fear him. And fear, you know, I said I'm preaching to myself in these sermons as well as to you. Fear is a major motivator for me when it comes to this offering. Because I have, you know, every year it comes, comes around and I think, well, we could give X. You know, this is enough. This is fine. And then this fear comes in of, of God saying to me, like he said to Cain, what is this? You know, this, this is what you give to me? After all I've given to you, after all of the times that I've proven to you how I can provide for you and take care of you no matter what, and you offer me this? It says with, with Abel's offering, he was pleased. He showed favor on Abel's offering. But to Cain, he did not show favor. I want God to show favor on my life. I'm afraid of God not showing favor on my life. And that's what motivates me to give. Now, what you're hearing there, what I want to want to call out, is that for me, giving is about giving to God, not giving to this church. It's, you know, I only give to the church because the church is God's chosen means for how to give to him. But, you, you know, you've probably heard me talk about this before. When Brittany and I were first married, uh, over the first 18 months of our 
marriage, we gave, uh, what was at the time, a, a stupid amount of money, a ridiculous amount of money to our church for this building that I didn't think should be built. I still don't think it should be built. I didn't believe in it. So why? Why give all that money? Because I wasn't giving the money to the church. I was giving the money to God. And it's actually the same thing now with LMCC. You know, so every year, um, you, you, what you might ask is, why should I give money to the church when I, I actually probably need the money more than the church does? Well, that's the same position Brittany and I are in every year, except for the first year. The, the very first year we did this offering, uh, as little money as we had, the church actually had less. The church needed the money more than we did. But every single year since, we've needed the money a lot more than the church has. Because look, I, I can look at both bank accounts. I can, I can open them both <laughs> in the same web browser. And I can, I can look at one account and I can look at the other. And one's a lot bigger than the other. So why, why would I... It doesn't make any sense logically to transfer money from this really small account to this really big account where it's going to make far less of an impact dollar for dollar. Our money is going to make far less of an impact dollar for dollar at this church than it would make in our lives if we just held on to it. Why? Because I'm not giving the money to the church. We're not giving the money to the church. We're giving the money to God. And the reason we're giving it to him is basically just because he asked for it. And that's kind of all there is to it. You know, that's what you see with Cain in this, this passage. And what you might say is, well, why? Like, why should I give money to God? You know, just because he asked for it. The answer is because he's God. Because he's God and you're a human being. And that's what Cain is resisting. Cain has this attitude of, you know, who, who says that you get to make all the rules? Why does God get to sit up there in his heaven and say, this is a good gift, and this is not a good gift, and here's my standard, and you have to come up to my standard, and I will show favor, or I won't show favor? Who, who makes him the boss? Why does he get to make all the rules? And the answer is just because, just because he's God. It's like with, uh, with my girls, you know, it's, it's my house, I make the rules, I'm the dad, you're the kid, and you just have to live by them. And what God says to Cain is, if you just submit to me, you'll be happy. You know, if you're, why, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? It's because you're resisting my authority, and you could just be happy if you would just relax and just be a creature, be a human being, and let me be the creator. Same exact thing I say to my girls when they're resisting one of my rules, and they're all upset, and they're screaming, and they're yelling, it's always, look, you're choosing your own unhappiness here. All you have to do to be happy is just get with the program. But the program's not going to change. The rule is not going to change no matter how much you scream or yell or resist. I was going through this whole routine with, with Kate, our three-year-old recently. Same old thing. you know. She's, I told her to do something. She starts screaming and yelling. I'm not going to do it. I'm never going to do it. I'm going to scream and yell and, you know, forever, you know, all night. And it's the same old spiel I've given them a hundred times, which is, Kate, the rule's not going to change. I'm the dad, and, and you're the kid. And she looks at me, and, and she says, No, I'm the dad, and you're the kid. <laughs> And I said, oh, really? I said, oh, really? 
were you there the day I was born? She said, no. I said, were you there when I came out screaming? She said, no. I said, did you cut my umbilical cord? She said, no. I said, you don't remember? You don't remember when I was only this big? She said, no. I said, that's funny, because I remember all of that about you. Because I was there. I was there. Because I'm the dad, and you're the kid, and that's just how it is, Kate. It's the exact same thing that, that God says to Job. That's where I got the idea. says, Job, were you there when I, when I put the stars in the heavens? Were you there when I, when I said to the seas, this, these are your boundaries? Were you there the day that I was born? Because I was there the day that you were born. And he could have said the same thing to Cain. When Cain gets all mad that God doesn't accept his offering. Cain, who makes the crops grow? Who makes the sun to shine? Who makes the rain fall? It's my world, and I just let you live in it. So all I'm asking is, give me a good gift. Give me something costly. Don't cheat me. Don't be cheap. Give me something valuable. And the reason he does it, the reason he insists on his own authority, is for the same reason that I insist on, on my authority at home. It's not just because I like this power trip, and I like bossing little people around is because I know that to the extent that my kids just accept the fact that they're kids and they're not in charge and they don't get to say, and I make the rules, to that extent, that's the extent to which they thrive and they're happy. Because what happens when you give in as a parent? You know, so you're fighting your kids. You're in this battle of wills with your kids. Secretly, they want you to win. They just want to see how sure you are of your own authority. What happens when you lose? What happens when you give in and after 30 minutes of whining, you say, fine, have it your way? Well, when you lose, they lose. Because at first, they're, they're going to feel like this exaltation. You know, there's two things happen at the same time, two sides of the same coin. At first, they feel this exaltation of, I just fought the mighty parent and won. So now the, the world is my oyster. The world is a blank slate. Anything is possible. I can get anything I want. I can have anything I want. But the flip side of that is what? Anxiety and insecurity. Because now the world is a blank slate. Anything can happen. There are no rules. So there's nothing to keep me safe anymore. It's the same thing with us and God. It's the same thing in the Garden of Eden. You know, Adam and Eve say, why does God get to make the rules? And they, they resist. They break the rule. They feel this sense of pride and accomplishment and exaltation. Right after that, anxiety and insecurity. Because everything's random now, all of a sudden. And it's the same thing here. The reason God insists on us just doing as he says is because he knows how we're made. He knows how we're wired. He knows that to be a human being, to be a happy, functioning human being, you have to be under somebody else's authority. Otherwise, it's just anxiety. The first passage we looked at this morning 
is the, this famous passage from Jesus about worry. And, uh, you know, it's this often quoted passage about, do not worry, don't worry about tomorrow, tomorrow has enough trouble of its own, trust God to take care of you. What is almost always neglected is that it's a passage about worry, it's also a passage about giving. In fact, this, this happens other places in Scripture, too. There's these, these famous verses where we, we quote the, the second half and not the first half, or, or vice versa. So Paul says this thing about, my God will supply all your needs. Well, don't forget the other part, only if you give. Only if you trust him with your money. Jesus says, don't worry, God's going to provide for you. Only if you seek his kingdom first. Only if you've got things in the right order. And then you don't have to worry. Then you don't have to be afraid. Because God's in charge. You're just a creature. You're just the kid. He's the dad. You know, I was talking earlier about being afraid of not giving God a good enough gift and fearing God you know, having this, this worry almost about making sure I give him enough. You say, well, that doesn't sound pleasant. You know, why, why would I want that? Well, the reason you should want that is because to the extent that you fear God, the more you fear God, the less you fear anything else. So every year I'm afraid about not giving God enough. But you know what I've never been afraid of? Having enough money. I've never once in my life worried about money. Because if I've given him the best, if I've given him the most that I can, then I know it's on him. If I seek first his kingdom, then I know that all these other things will be added to me as well. And I would rather fear him than the rest of it. So that's it. Two reasons. Two reasons to to be afraid of giving too little. Two reasons to make sure that you give enough. Which is, in the first place, if you don't give enough, it won't grow your faith. So it's kind of pointless. In the second place, if you don't give enough, God might be offended. It kind of defeats the whole purpose. Give him a good gift. Give him a gift that shows that you fear him. And if you do, then you don't have to fear anything else. Let's pray. God, I ask that you would speak to us. I ask that you would give us a, a sense of who we are in relation to you. A sense of our place in the world. Our sense of, a sense of our place in, in creation. This next week, I pray that as we seek you on this question of how much to give, you'd give us peace. You'd give us a sense of what you want from us. And that as we submit to that, as we lay ourselves before you and recognize your power and your authority over our lives. You would come in and, and give us your peace, a peace that passes understanding, this knowledge that you'll take care of us no matter what. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.